So my parents took us to church all the time and uh, we became very involved in the church. My parents were very involved. Uh, they um, were head of this committee or uh, dad was a head usher, mom was ahead of the music um, and ahead of other things. So we were always part of the church. And so growing up, I was there a lot and got to know the, the, uh, the priests there. And uh, so I felt very comfortable to go up and talk to them. And one day I went up to him and I was uh, 17, 18 years old and I asked him, uh, some questions because we were doing some studying of the Bible with uh, like a Sunday school type with uh, some youth leaders and it raised some thoughts so I asked the priest and I said uh, you know uh, why why is this why is that why you know just some different questions and he looked at me and he said why are you asking these questions who's who are you talking to and so I just I said nobody we're learning it in, in uh, our studies and I said, oh, okay, okay. Well, you just be, you you just go to uh, go to church and don't worry about that. Let me worry about that. And it just left me feeling like I wanted more. And then my cousin had asked me to come here, and uh, so I came here. And uh, Pastor uh, Bill was preaching about uh, salvation, and he answered every one of those questions in that message. And it just left me like, oh, I need this. And uh, I soon met Jenny, and uh, when we first started dating, I was introduced to uh, her grandma, Grandma Woolley, and she was an amazing person because she, um, she really taught me a lot. And because I had become a Christian here, it just took me uh, to, I don't know, just a, a special place you know, being with her and everything. So we went to visit her um, for the last time and she called me over to her and she says, Mike, come here, I wanna to talk to you. So I leaned into her, she grabbed me by the shoulder, she pulled me in and she said, Mike, I want you to know that I've been praying for you since the day Jenny was born. And that just hit me so hard. So after she had passed, um, she had a room that she um, she prayed in and it was like a second bedroom but she had a, a love seat in there and she had a desk that she did her bills at but mainly she would do her her um, um, her devotions at this at uh, this love seat and when we pulled that out we realized that there was a spot right in front of the love seat that the carpet was worn she had this old shag carpet but it was worn and we realized that that was grandma's knees and she prayed for me there and I regret we didn't cut that piece out but she she prayed for us there and when we had our kids we immediately started praying for for their future spouses I guess if I was to think about what kids would say my grandkids would say or hopefully grandkids would be able to say is, is that they know that I prayed, I cared, I loved Jesus, and I wanted them to also. Can we thank Mike for sharing that testimony this morning?
been fun to see these legacy videos and testimonies and uh, Mike happens to be one of our leaders here at Colonial Woods and we've been all year sharing our story. Uh, One every month shares their story and Mike shared his last month and so glad you were able to hear a portion of that this morning as well. A legacy, we've been in a series called Legacy, Living a Life Beyond Your Own and a legacy is, is really a gift or a bequest from one generation to the next and it's this idea of giving a gift that is lasting It doesn't have to be a financial gift. It doesn't have to be a car or anything like that. It's just simply an impact, a legacy, an investment made from one generation into another. And uh, we see that all throughout Scripture, right? We see that from from Jacob as he blesses the nation of Israel and really begins the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph to Israel. Jesus even went to the disciples when he gives them the great commission. He says, all authority has been given to me, but now here's your job. Here's your task. Here's the legacy. Everything I've done has been to invest in you, and now I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we've been on this journey of talking about legacy and living a life that lasts beyond your own. I was at a friend's funeral a couple of months ago. Uh, ministry partner, love the guy, and uh, I've known him for 20 years, have prayed with him uh, weekly for at least half of that time. And um, as I was sitting at his funeral and as I was listening a little bit about his life, something had impacted me, and I knew it because I, I knew the story before the story, and that is about six months before he passed away, maybe five months, he went in to see the funeral director. He must have had a sense that his, uh, his illness was nearing a completion. And so he took care of, he planned his funeral. He had everything detailed out. He uh, went through, he paid all the bills ahead of time. Didn't tell his wife he did any of this. And what really struck me, and I don't know why it struck me so much, but he wrote his own obituary. And when I thought about that, I, I, I I mean, we wrote my dad's obituary. I have my dad's obituary, but I never thought about writing your own obituary. Maybe that happens a lot. I don't, I don't know, but I, I began to really be challenged by that. What would I write in my obituary? Besides Phil Whetstone, you know, incredibly funny guy, uh, wonderful sense of humor. You know, what would, I, what would I write about my beginning, my end, and those kinds of things, and Mary, Tammy, et cetera. The things that I always think of are the personal notes, the ones of impact, the one that that stuff makes an impact on me. And I I was challenged, what do I hope someday is written about me? And combine that with a movie that I watched, which is the weirdest movie. It was on TV a few weeks ago. I'm not even suggesting it was just weird. It's called The, The Curious Life of Benjamin Button. And if you've watched it, you know it's Brad Pitt and somebody else in there. And he's born old. He's born as an old man. And as he gets older, he actually becomes younger. And this idea of living life backwards, living life backwards, living with the end in mind really started to impact me. That if I want my obituary to say something someday, then I I better start making sure I live today so that someday a pastor doesn't have to lie at my funeral about me, that I'm living a life in such a way as to bring about the investment that I hope will take place. 
And that's a good way for all of us to live. That's not, that's not morbid. It's just an understanding of how God designed us with this understanding that we are mortal, going into immortality, obviously, in heaven, but that, that this life is temporary. There's an eternal life yet ahead, but what do I want my legacy to be? And there were four areas that, for me, I really am challenged to live with the end in mind. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're not gonna be studying one particular passage of scripture, but really kind of a survey as we look at this whole idea of legacy, living with the end in mind. And the four areas that we want to live that way, the first one is the area that probably a lot of us think about immediately, and that's my family. And that family can be a family of sorry, it can be a it can be a, a family where it's my children and my spouse and my parents, or maybe it's the family of the community of believers, whoever you consider your family, that's a great place to live with the end in mind. But I love what Deuteronomy chapter six says, and it's a passage that probably at least once a year, either myself or Pastor Dan preach out of this passage. But in Deuteronomy chapter six, there is this idea of legacy faith that is sown into the way that God wants us to do family. And it says this in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one, it says, these are the commands, the decrees, the laws, the Lord, your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you were crossing the Jordan to possess. Why? Verse two, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I have given you so that you may enjoy long life. Notice what it says in verse six, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In fact, what's interesting is that when Moses writes this down and he's speaking what the Lord has given to him, he says, and by the way, this same faith was your forefather's faith. This was theirs before you. And this idea of generational legacy when it comes to this thing of faith and relationship and modeling is permeated throughout Scripture. That God never intended this thing of faith to be done in isolation or on an island, but he in, intended it to be done within the community of believers, the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, but also in your families. And when we talk about a legacy of faith and a legacy of relationship in our families, there are different levels of that. For example... For those of you who are married, you may simply say, where do I, what do I want said about my marriage? Where do I want my marriage to be in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? Some of you are newlyweds and you're just beginning the journey. Some of you are just starting to have children. Uh, some of you are midway through that. Some of you are going into empty nesterism. I think I made that up. Empty nesterism. And some of you have been empty nesters for a while. And by the way, if you are getting ready to go into empty nesterism or you are an empty nesterer, I feel like I'm making up new words as I speak, but that's okay. Let me tell you, there's a transition. 
Tammy and I are, I would call us empty nesters, although one of our birds comes home in the summer and on vacations, but soon to be out of college, Wesley. And uh, I'm gonna tell you, there's a transition that takes place there because up until that time, identity a lot has been in your kids. Relationship a lot has been your kids' involvement. And even in conflict, there's always been a little bit of a buffer there. We have done a lot of evaluation on relationship because where we are today is that where we want to be in 20 years. And, and if you want your marriage to be in a certain place, then you better make sure today that you're doing the things and having the conversations and making the investments to, to be where you want it to be with the end in mind. One of the things that we uh, did, I thought, pretty well when our kids came into our lives is that we sowed very early in our life. We always said we don't want to hate each other when the kids are out of the house. We want to still want to be together. And so we did dates and we invested. And I can remember this day going out to special restaurants and Brittany especially. I remember we went to Red Lobster one time and I said, uh, uh, Mommy and I are going out to Red Lobster. And we didn't do that very often. We didn't have hardly any money. And Brittany goes, ah, why can't we go with you? And I said, oh, oh, because it's simple. We don't want you to be with us. <laughs> because the greatest gift that mom and dad can give to you is for mom and dad to not only be in love with Jesus, but to be in love with each other. And so we need to do this every once in a while to make sure our relation. But let me tell you, I, I have talked to so many that are in that transition or kids are leaving home. And it is a traumatizing thing because without even realizing it, your identity becomes your kids, your relationship becomes your children. And so I have to right now be evaluating and, and working on the relationship that I want it to be in five, 10 years. How about with your children? You are sowing the seeds today of what your future relationship with your children is going to be. And by the way, that's not just for those whose children are still at home, because as, a, as an adult child, I know that it's never too late and never too late to hear from your parents the impact and the, the desires they have for your life. Something that impacted me a couple months ago was Tammy and I were at a weekend to remember, I've mentioned it, and I love the experience. We would recommend it to anyone as a couple to go to. Healthy marriage, not on, I mean, wherever you're at, just a great weekend. And actually one of the most impactful things that was said was not, I think it was off the cuff, and Tammy never heard it because it was a session just for guys. And a dad was up there and he talked about something that he had done with his children and it impacted me so powerfully because he said this, he asked his kids this question, if we only had five more years, if I was only gonna be alive five more years, what is something that you hope that we would be able to do together before I die? I told Tammy about it right away. We went on vacation and I looked over at her and I figured if it's good to ask our kids that, I should ask that about my wife. And so I challenged her with that question. I said, Tammy, if, if we knew I only had five more years or you only had five more years, what, what would you want for us to do together? What would be important to you? This last week, I texted my kids, each of them, and I said, this is how I, I, I said it. Now guys, I want you to know I'm in good health. There is no hidden agenda. But if you knew that I only had five more years to live, 
what would be important to you for the two of us to do together? No strings attached, I'm not putting any, what, whatever you want. And then I, at the end I said, there is no agenda. I am simply evaluating and prioritizing my life. And little by little, I've been hearing back from them as to what would that be? What would that be for you? What do you want? What do you want your kids someday to say about you and your relationship? Because it's not too late until it's too late, right? And so investing now, what, with the, with the end in mind? What do I hope that they'll be able to say about me someday? And what do I want to say do today? Or maybe your own parents, right? Investing, and you're saying, you know, I'm not where I would like to be with my parents, no matter what your age is. And I remember there was, a, there was for me, a, a critical time when I was 18, 19 years old, going into college. And uh, frankly, I, when I came to Christ, I realized how selfish I had been in the way that I viewed my parents. I really had not appreciated how much my parents had invested in me. And so I just made sure to tell my parents, thank you for all these things. And they probably thought, what in the world happened to this guy? You get into a cult? What happened? You know, and I was just, I just wanted them to know. And that was a generation, it, they loved me. I know they loved me, they expressed that, but they didn't really say that much. And I just decided I am going to change from this day until the day my parents are gone, I am going to change the way we relate. And one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to hug them. And my mom ate that up. My little mama, you saw her last week. I hug her and she loves those hugs and I kiss her on the cheek. But let me tell you, my dad did not come from the generation of guys hugging. And the problem is we were like two Pac-Men trying to get our arms around each other. And so I, I would go for my dad from behind and I just said, I know you hate this, but I love you, dad. And I just got off the phone with my mom in between services. I almost always call her between first and second hour. And it, it's, it's like a rush to see who's going to beat the other person to say, I love you. It is so much a part of our conversation. So, so there is a legacy and I want to live with the end in mind in my relationships and my family. The second area that I want to make sure that I'm living with the end in mind is the area of resources, resources. Now, a lot of people have this conversation because when we talk about resources, they're like, well, I want to make sure I have enough to get me to the end, and so I got to make sure that I'm timing that out. And I suppose that's a good way to understand that, but, but I'm going to suggest to you that there are three resources that God has given to every person in this room that we want to live with an understanding that the investment is not going going to be here, but that we're going to be sending it ahead. And it's this idea, three things. I have treasure. I have treasures. I have financial resources that God has given to me. Some people have more of those resources. Some have less of those resources, but it's interesting what Jesus says about treasure. He says in Matthew chapter six, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I love those who, when they talk about this, say, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. 
that how we use our resources, all of us have some kind of treasure, we all have some sort of financial ability, but the fact is, is am I using that treasure for me and here and now, or am I investing that treasure in such a way that it's gonna have an impact in eternity? We should do a whole entire message on how do we do that. Because that whole idea of generosity, sowing into the things that have eternal value, it's real simple. When I'm gone, what's gonna remain? What's gonna be sent ahead to heaven will not be the house and it will not be the things that I collect and I love to collect. It won't be those types of things. It'll be the people that I've invested in kingdom-wise that are gonna have the greatest impact. I also have some talents. And all of us have talents. We all have spiritual giftings. We all have abilities. And scripture says, as he begins to evaluate that in Matthew 25, he says that when the Lord comes and when you stand before him, is he gonna look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you this much and you did much with it. Or I gave you this much and you hid it and you squandered it. And not everybody's going to be a, a, a preacher that stands up front or a worship leader or a, a musician. But what is it that God has given you ability in and are you investing in it in such ways that you're bringing honor and glory to the Lord? And if it's not going to be my talents, if it's not going to be my treasure, then all of us have some time. And, and we have different amounts of time. We have the same amount of time each day, but we, we don't know how much time we're going to have. But I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, especially out of the Amplified Version. I love this. Look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and the witless, but as wise and sensible, intelligent people, making the most of every time, every, most of your time, buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. Make the most of every moment you have. I am... Um, I'm having a bit of a transition happening uh, in my life. I've always been really fortunate. I was allowed to step into leadership circles really early on in ministry since the time I was 23. I think I was a pastor at 21. I was able to serve in a, in a leadership board, I think at 23. I think by 25, I was serving in some other capacities. And I've always been able to sit in these leadership gatherings and I've always been the youngest in the room. I'm no longer the youngest in the room. I was recently at a gathering of church leaders and I, I looked around and I realized I've been part of this group longer than anybody else. And I looked over at my buddy who's about two years older than me and he just said, you do realize we're the old guys now that guys are looking. I know I'm not old, but in that circle, we're, we, there, there are those in that circle that are 20 years younger than me. And so it really impacts you. And so about 10, 15, about 13 years ago, I was sitting on a board with someone and there was a guy in the room that was probably 10, 15 years older than me. And I remember when he said this, it really impacted me. And I, I have a lot of feelings in life, but one of the things that I have done pretty well is I listen to people that are older than me. I try to learn. My, my philosophy in life is really simple. Why learn the hard way what somebody else already did? So I try to learn from them. And he said, you know what? He said, if I'm lucky, I've got 10, maybe 15 years left 
in active workplace and ministry, and he said, I don't have enough time left to sit in meetings that are meaningless. Ruthlessly, he began to go through his schedule and he began to step off of leadership teams. Not that they weren't important, he just didn't see the impact of eternity that he wanted it to. He only stayed on two. And it's interesting that soon after him making that commitment, he was given and invited to take one of the largest leadership opportunities he'd ever had in his entire life. So it's this idea of evaluating what am I going to do with the resources that God has given me? We ought to live with the end in mind. Now there's a third area that probably makes a lot of sense, but let me ask you this. The third area to live with the end in mind is your own eternity. And when I talk about your own eternity, I'm not talking about just squeaking across the finish line so that somehow I can someday be in heaven. See, I, I recognize something. I realize heaven is enough. But Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, our lives are gonna be evaluated. And as though by fire, and he says, and there's a lot of our, our lives that are gonna just kinda be shown for the junk that it is. And he says, now you're, you'll be rescued, you'll be okay, but there's gonna be an awareness of this. And so when we began to look at our own lives, we wanna look at our own souls, we wanna look at our own eternity. Where do I want at the end of this life, where do I want my soul to be? Jesus said it this way, and it's in our face, he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And that is a confronting issue because it's not just about my eternity, it's about my soul health. Am I in a healthy place? A couple of weeks ago, somebody after the first service brought it to my attention, but a couple of weeks ago I talked about intimacy with God and the necessity to sharpen our acts, to keep working on our relationship with the Lord. How is your soul? I was reading a devotional this week. I happened to come across Dallas Willard. If if you're not familiar with him, he's a unique writer. He's almost a philosopher uh, theologian. He has since passed away. He's with the Lord today. and He's written some really profound things. But he just wrote this simple statement that I found to be so profound for me. Just simply this. If your soul is healthy, no external circumstances can destroy your life. But if your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstances can redeem your life. How's your soul? How's the most important thing, lasting thing of your existence? I wanna live today with the end in mind. And and Paul says, 
uh, in 2 Timothy, I have run the race. I have finished the race that God has marked out for me. And I remember years ago that somebody wrote that in order to finish first, you first must finish. And, okay, I'm looking out here and I'm seeing a little bit of gray hair. Not a lot, a little. I see a little bit of no hair, a little bit of gray hair. I see a lot of colored hair. It may not be fair, but finishing well, it's what most people really remember. Starting strong, having a good middle. I'm not saying it's not important, it's essential, but how we finish It's important. Which leads me to number four, the eternity of others. Joshua in Joshua chapter 22 talks about the fact that he is setting up an altar to the Lord, but not so that they themselves can personally worship. We wanna set up an altar so that it serves as a testimony and a witness to other generations. Can I ask this, who's your number one? Who, who's, who's the person on your list that you, you most want to see in eternity? Investing today, living today, sowing seeds today that reap a harvest in their lives. And I'm reminded of two bookends today because as I look out uh, on the back wall, there is a, uh, it's called a legacy of changed lives. And it's, you'll see a bunch of pastors. They look like old pictures because they are old pictures. And I was out there this week and, and uh, uh, had our, uh, Josh Hostler was a guest speaker on Wednesday night. We were out there looking at it and he found his dad and we were talking about that. And uh, they said, you know, not many churches would have something like this. And then some people have different thoughts about it. But you know what it always reminds me of? It's that there have been a lot that have come before me. And all of us stand on the shoulders of someone else. We really do. And Lord willing, there will be a lot that come after us. And so I want to make sure I'm faithful I want a faithful so that others can stand on my shoulders someday. So that's one bookend. And the other bookend were those six young people that Pastor Dan introduced to you earlier today. Because our interns, more than likely, more than likely, we've had almost 60 now over the last 17 years. We've hired a few of them. We will likely in this world never get a return on that. That isn't why we do it. 
We do it because as we invest in their lives, there's gonna be a day that all of us get to be in heaven, and I think we're gonna know exactly what those investments and those young people have made, and we're gonna get to high five and realize that every life they had a positive impact on, we had a part in that too. It's a legacy. And I don't know how many of you either are retired or someday would like to retire. How many of you would like to someday be able to retire? I'm not gonna say you're gonna stop doing stuff because you're gonna retread, you're gonna do other stuff, but how many someday would like to retire? Raise your hand. And then if you have retired, you can raise your hand, okay? All right, here's what I know about retirement. You can't just hope and be ready for retirement. You have to know what the goal is You have to put together a plan and then every day start investing. Or as Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else today so that you can live like no one else tomorrow. Well, let me just tell you, if if my goal someday when I'm 95 years old and I'm out hunting and the Lord takes me to heaven, that's kind of the way I'm hoping to go, I don't know. If that's where I want to be, then I need to understand where is my goal, put a plan together for my life in all of these areas, and then every day begin to intentionally invest with the end in mind. Father, thank you for your word, and we could chat about this over and over, but thank you so much, Lord, that you challenge us because you, you care about our yesterdays. You care certainly about our todays, but you care about every tomorrow. And Lord, um, with humility, with humility, I would simply ask that you challenge, direct, but lead me and then help me to step into each day living with an intentionality for all of eternity. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.